Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I am joined by Chris Sherrod, Chris Legg, and Brent Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. Welcome back to the Reconstructed Faith Podcast. My name is Colson Lechner, alongside my partners in crime, Bryn Starnes and Chris Legg. Chris Sherrod isn't able to join us today, um, but we so we miss him. But we're glad to be <laughs> we're glad to be together. He he said they are recuperating from uh, doing a conference this a weekend. Conference, yeah. yes, which yes. you attended, right? Yeah, it was yeah. great at Watermark. So it was a, it was a really good marriage conference. So Excellent. it's it's awesome to know that he is taking time to make sure that his. <laughs> Marriage is uh, stable after a, such a busy weekend for them. So anyway, today's episode is a little bit different. What, so that what, they're applying, they're, yeah. they're trying to apply in their marriage what they learned probably at the marriage conference. Fair. How about that? That's yeah. not bad. I love that. We'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> I like that. Today's That's episode, encouraging for someone who's leading the, helping lead the conference. Yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. right. Exactly. That's what I thought. Well done, Chris. Hey, thanks. Bryn, today's episode is a little bit different yes. than normal. Can you tell us a little bit about what we're going to be doing? Yeah. So every now and then we like to circle back and answer any questions that have come in over the past couple of episodes. And we haven't done that in a while. So we thought we'd do another Q&A and just kind of catch up and answer some of the questions that you have sent in. And so once again, if you have questions or comments on things that we've covered, um, know that we would love for you to send those in. We would love to hear those. And just because we don't cover them every episode doesn't mean we won't get to them because our hope is that we will always get to those questions. So that's what this episode is, tackling some of those. Right. And we may not get through all of the questions today, but we'll at least start to dig in. Yeah. So you, you want to read the... Yeah, you start with the first one. Yeah. So the first question that we're going to tackle today that came in is, why are believers not allowed to use their own minds and how they interpret what scripture is saying about certain controversial subjects. I'm thinking of issues like gay marriage, trans people, etc. I don't believe Christians have the right authority or right slash authority just because they vote to push their version of how they think everyone should live on a nation full of people of all kinds of faiths and beliefs or people with no faith or belief. So first of all, thanks for your question. And we're going to break it down into a couple of different sections because there's a couple of different pieces to this. So the first sentence is why are believers not allowed to use their own minds and how they interpret what scripture is saying about certain controversial subjects. So the first thing that comes to my mind is our hope in the podcast is that we are we are encouraging people to use mm -hmm. their minds. And that's something that we have circled back to that faith or Christianity is not a faith that asks you to check your mind at the door and your right. brain at the door. And so our hope just at the front end of this question is that, um, that we are allowed to use our minds. And that is one encouraging thing about the Christian faith. And one of the reasons that we've, we have started this podcast is because we believe that you can engage your mind and should mm -hmm. as you deconstruct and then reconstruct. Yeah. But then the second part of this question, Chris, do you want to tackle um, you want me to tackle the, what do you think? Like the, the voting part, or do you want me to, you want us to go back uh, and pick like, up at the beginning? Well, it's more this, the, beginning. the beginning. I yeah. was okay. thinking, yeah, that sounds good. So, so the believers not allowed to use their minds. I, I don't, <clears throat> again, 
it's hard to to kind of read through the I don't know what the exact question being asked is because obviously we do believe that Christians believers are allowed to use their minds mm-hmm. and how they interpret scripture. In fact, we had a I feel like almost an entire season on hermeneutics and the rules for how we use our minds when we engage with this. It's so in in one sense it's it's the same reason. I mean, there are rules for studying and interpreting scripture, just like there are rules for the scientific method. And I don't know if our if our listener here, the person asking the question, is saying, why can't scientists just use their minds instead of the scientific method? Right. If well, that's what they mean, then I mean they can. That just means they're bad at doing the scientific method. Mm-hmm. The method is there to protect us from protect the scientific method from being overly influenced by our own opinions. Um, that's its whole purpose, or the laws of logic. Mm-hmm. That when it comes to the five sources of knowledge, that the reason. We have the laws of logic, sci- empirical evidence. We have the scientific method. And when it comes to studying revelation, we have hermeneutics. Like those are the the ways, the guidelines that are actually meant to protect us from just making anything up we want to. Right. And so there, there's a sense in which if, if that's what they're, if what's being asked is, why can't I just decide what that it says whatever I want it to say, mm-hmm. then my answer would be, I mean, you you can, that just means you're bad at hermeneutics. Mm. That doesn't matter whether you're a PhD professor at a seminary or a third grader. Mm-hmm. If that's how you're studying scripture, you're doing it badly. Mm-hmm. In the same way that if you said, I've just decided that the law of gravity doesn't apply to me. Well, I mean, you can, you're allowed to do that in a free world, I guess. It's just you're doing science badly. But I don't know that that's what's being asked here. Yeah. Um, and I don't know even the under the concept of the word interpret if that's being misapplied here. So let me let me take a second with that. Um, and a lot of Christians would not know to make this distinction as well. So each passage we've heard Chris Sherrod say many times, a Bible passage can never say what it never said. Mm-hmm. That's about interpretation. Um, so if we're speaking different languages here. You speak a different language, don't you? A little bit. A little bit. Speak mm-hmm. just a little bit of it. Doesn't matter what you say. Okay, perfect. So I think he said, I'm buying Chris's lunch today. <laughs> so that's what that's how I interpret what he just said. Um, so I can either be right or wrong that that is what you just said, but good interpretation would be that what I think you said is what you said. Which yes. had something to do with speaking Portuguese, maybe? Yeah, I, I just said, I can speak Portuguese. Hey, how about that? I guess, right. I had no good. I, I just, I heard yeah. it a little, just enough to be like, I think. Anyway, yeah. um, but, uh, um, so but, that would be, yeah. so correct interpretation would be if I said what you, that's why it's called interpreting. I mean, I'm a, right. literally an interpreter does that. So if I'm right, that what I say you said is what you said, that's good interpretation. There's only one correct interpretation of any given situation. And so and there's only one correct interpretation. However, there could be thousands of different possible applications mm-hmm. of any given thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you read in the Bible a passage and you go, oh, here's how that applies to my life. Okay, plausibly, we can discuss that. It needs to be linked, though, to the correct interpretation. But there's only going to be one correct interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the different words. And so I, I think maybe our listener is at using the word interpret and what they more mean is apply. Why can't I 
do what I want to do regardless of what Scripture says. Or why can't we apply our interpretations differently when it comes to these controversial subjects? Why can't I think what I want to think regardless of what Scripture says? Why can't I believe what I Mm -hmm. want to believe? Or they may even be saying, like, why can't we apply it differently? Like... You're, you're saying that applicate, because a lot of the things that we've said recently are more like, we, we believe firmly the application is this way. And maybe they're saying, like, why can't application for me be different on controversial subjects? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I think most of what we've been talking about, at least my goal would have been, would have been interpretation, not application. Mm, okay. So if we're saying scripture teaches that this certain sexual behavior is sin, mm-hmm. That's not an application. I'm just telling, I'm just, this is what the Bible says. Um, You can take that, you can apply that in various ways, but in a passage like that, it's like, I can choose to sin. Mm -hmm. Um, The only way to make it not sin is to argue that's not what it says. And so that if I said in Portuguese, hey, that thing you're doing is sin, then you could correctly interpret it or not. Mm. But it's, it still would matter on, is that what I said? Mm -hmm. And so our focus of the last few weeks, I feel like when it comes to sexual sin has largely been, what does the Bible actually say about it? Mm -hmm. Now, because I'm a, because, and this is where the big question comes in, because I treat the Bible as authoritative, I accept that the Bible has authority in my life. The truth of scripture has authority in my life. Therefore, if it calls something sin, I agree with it. Um, whether I like it or not. And so I think that's the challenge that people have is they're saying, well, you get to decide what you agree with and what you don't agree with. Why choose to agree with what the Bible says? Um, what if I don't want to agree with what the Bible So, So what if the Bible says this? I mm. still should be able to use my brain and do whatever I want to do and decide, you know what, I'm not going to listen to that part. I, mm-hmm. I get that. Um, because of my understanding of God's word and of hermeneutics, I believe the Bible is God's word, and therefore we have to correctly interpret it and then correctly apply it to our lives. Mm-hmm. And so I can choose to sin. I certainly do all the time, but that mm-hmm. doesn't make it not sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I think and, so. And we've said in past episodes, there are people who interpret scripture differently on yes. these issues. Yes. The question you have to ask yourself then is if, if you are hopefully we're all using our minds like we just addressed. Yep. If we are coming to a different interpreta- interpretation of it, then you have to ask yourself if the Bible, if at the end of the day, the interpretation of what scripture says is against what I want and what mm-hmm. I want it to say, will right. I still trust it? That's right. That, and that is, that's the, that is a big line for people to say, mm-hmm. okay, if, if I become convinced that the Bible teaches pacifism, that I should never, you know, use any violence even to defend myself or my country or whatever, that violence is inherently bad. Well, then if I believe that's what it teaches, then to be a good Christ follower, I believe would mean I would then have to forsake all forms of violence. Mm -hmm. If I believe that's what the Bible taught, I'm not, we're not going to discuss that today, but, um, but if I believe the Bible teaches that sex only has one appropriate relationship and that's between a man and a woman in a marriage covenant, Mm -hmm. And that's what I believe is the best interpretation. So the, we, we can debate about the interpretation. Mm-hmm. The question will come down to who is best making use of hermeneutics, who is best following the rules to reach the interpretation. Mm-hmm. That's, the word interpret really helps when we think of it in terms of 
if you and I, if Bryn and I had, if we, what I should have done is ask Bryn, what do you think he said? Mm-hmm. And then I would have said, what do I think he said? And we could have discussed it. But the yep. person would have been right who best knew how to interpret Portuguese. Mm-hmm. Right. Or the person who said it. Yeah, exactly. It yeah. would be even better is if we could get them. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. when it comes to the Bible, right. they're, they're not around. Right. Um, yeah. We're guided by the Holy Spirit in understanding it and applying it. But mm-hmm. but when it comes, you know, the Apostle John who wrote it is not around to ask about right. it. Mm-hmm. Um, which creates confusion. So I think there's, there's a so, multiple levels here. One is... Mm-hmm. Are we using good hermeneutics to correctly interpret it? Are we willing to apply it? Mm-hmm. And are we willing to trust it and submit to it? Yeah. And it is fascinating that we are not forced to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, I can interpret it and believe that it says that adultery is sin, and I can still commit adultery. Mm-hmm. Um, I can interpret it and twist it so that it doesn't say that. I can just decide that it doesn't say that mm-hmm. um, because that's because I want... Colson to buy me lunch, right? right? And so I can just decide that's what it says, and I'm going to go with it. And if I'm strong enough and powerful enough, I might can make Colson buy me lunch, even if that isn't what he said. I might even get him to admit that that's what he said, even if, you know, that whole, right, right, right. that all plays out differently. Um, but the idea here is that that being a good Bible student is about using those rules correctly, mm-hmm. apply, and, then, and then being a good Bible student. Scholar, I don't know what the right word is. Being a good Christ follower, I believe, means the, and then taking those words as authoritative. Mm-hmm. And like we said, there are people who study scripture and disagree. And mm-hmm. what we've been trying to do in this podcast is admit that some of these are really challenging and really yep. difficult and make the case for hermeneutically why we believe scripture says how we've interpreted it. Yep. But we're not denying the fact that there are people who disagree that scripture says yep. that. And we're certainly not denying that we could be wrong. Yeah. That's a, right. that's an important understanding is, yeah. of course, we, I mean, we're humans. We could all, all humans are wrong about a certain percentage of things and we don't always know what it is. And if we did, we'd probably change it. So mm-hmm. we apparently don't know. Anyway, yeah. it's, it's, um, <clears throat> there's no pride in that. It's, it's like, there's no pride in following the mathematical rules and solving a geometry problem. Mm-hmm. It's just, right. but you have to follow the rules to solve a mathematical geometry problem. Otherwise, you'll get a bad answer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really that fundamental. Yeah. But I think you're right. I think when it comes to pride and humility, I think another piece of this is when you're engaging with anyone, but especially other believers who are wrestling with this or have disagreement on the interpretation, I think humility, it you can obviously, please stand for what you believe, but use the humility to not assume, like, for example... If someone disagrees with me, then they are not using not using their brain, their mind. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. I think there ha- we all have to have mm-hmm. that. Hu- and I'm not saying the listeners assuming that at all. I'm saying I think we all have to be careful of that. Right. Right. Um, of like assuming just because someone disagrees with me, making those assumptions about them. Yeah, that's a good point. And so <clears throat> then, kind of that kind of lends itself. Sorry, thinking about the application versus interpretation. That leads into the second part yes, of the, mm-hmm. into the question. So I don't believe Christians have the right slash authority just because they vote to push their version of how they think everyone should live on a nation full of people of all kinds of faiths or beliefs. And so what, then what is in your mind at that point for, you know, okay, this is what we believe the Bible says. And then this is what we believe our government should mm-hmm. dictate. Mm-hmm. Which is a different... Yeah, yeah, a different angle of this question. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so government teacher coming out here, uh, which is <laughs> what I do. Hat decide. On. Government hat on. I do some government teaching for uh, a co-op here at seven thirty in the morning. Seven thirty in the morning. Wait, I really? Was, I had oh, no yes. idea. Are yeah, they even because, awake then? Uh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're not the pop quiz. They wake up real fast, um, <laughs> and I have coffee. Um, so uh, he said, "I'm just that good of a teacher." Yeah. They're awake. <laughs> exactly. Well, no, I talk, I, well, I talked to Hank about it because I yeah. was like, "Oh, that's that's early." He's like, "Yeah, but it's good. It's good." Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, it's fun to teach. But here's so this this is an intriguing question from that perspective, mm-hmm. in that I want to immediately ask. This is why this would be a great conversation. I want to immediately ask, how are we supposed to vote? Um. So the United States exists in what's called, was created, founded in what's called a respectful pluralism um, or a dignity-based pluralism. It isn't required that we all believe the same, Mm -hmm. but we have to respect everybody's beliefs. Um, And so that's the, it's, it's the infamous, the, the original, I guess, famous, not infamous definition of tolerance, which was um, I may not agree with you with what you believe, but I will die for your right to believe it. Mm. Um, and so it's your right to believe what you choose to believe. That is a God. I believe it's a God given right. I accept that. Um, but here's the thing about respectful pluralism. The assumption of pluralism is everyone will vote their conscience. Everyone will. Mm-hmm. You don't vote somebody else's conscience. You don't like if this person is, an atheist or uh, a non-believer or whatever, I would assume that they're going to vote their conscience. Mm -hmm. What they just, with the question, they vote to push, quote, their version of how they think everyone should live in a nation. Isn't, I assume that's what our listener is doing, is that they're voting to push their version of how they think everyone should live in a nation. And, and I would defend their right to vote that way. Mm-hmm. And so it is, it is required in order for our, our culture to work well that each of us votes our conscience. And if the majority of people's conscience leads to a certain representative, and that representative then pushes the, the agenda of the people they represent with that conscience, then what's supposed to happen over time is the laws will adjust and change based on what is right in the eyes of the people in a general sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's going to change over time. But it's it's not any individual person pushing their religious views on another another individual. That would be inappropriate. We don't have crusades anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, of any, We're not supposed to have any kind. Holy wars should be a part of the past. Uh, that I hope they are. Um, but we do each vote our conscience. And so if I believe that a child is a human being um, with their own identity from the point of conception, then it's absolutely necessary that I vote according to that belief, because otherwise I would not be voting my conscience. Um, and I would never want to take away the right of someone who believes that it's not a human being at all. It's not even a person until it comes out of the womb and, and then that's when it becomes a person with any dignity and any rights. And until then, it has none. Well, my presumption is they're going to vote their conscience. Mm-hmm. And we may both think the other one is absolutely immoral in our, in our belief system. My job would be to vote my conscience and to seek to, in a 
healthy way, convince that person that they're wrong Mm -hmm. and that my understanding of reality is better than theirs. And we do that through debate. We do that through conversation. We do that through whatever. But in a respectful pluralism, we don't do it through violence or pressure or intimidation. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, we should be inviting everyone in the country to vote their conscience and then trying to influence their conscience is totally fine. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I, I'm just kind of, I'm kind of this question, everyone is going to vote to push their version of how they think everyone should live in a nation full of people of all kinds of faith and beliefs. Mm-hmm. That's a presumption that the founders put in place and that we're still living out. And the idea of taking that away, no, because I'm a Christian, I should not vote my conscience. Well, that would be unconstitutional and tyrannical. Mm-hmm. Now, if the question is... Um, should we be making laws at all that impose a kind of morality? You know, like I know we've talked about before, right? Like even should we push to have laws that are Judeo, you know, Judeo Christian ethics, right. Be mandated governmentally is like a, an interesting complex conversation. We don't have to get into it, but that is a, I know you've touched on that before. I think it might be worth just mentioning because I think it kind of falls in line. Like you were saying, like it kind of opens up the conversation. Well, people, because people, some people want that. Right. You know, like if the majority is saying, Hey, I think that marriage should be this. Right. Then we are in a way imposing that on other people. Absolutely. No matter which direction, by the way, that's what a pluralism means. Exactly. Right. Um, We, we try to sing harmony. We're never going to sing melody. Uh, the United States doesn't have a melody. It only has a yeah. harmonization. And so um, that's a the old melting pot concept you mm-hmm. remember from elementary school. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no main base. There's no, we are a stew and there's no core to the stew. It's all, there's a constitution that tells us mm-hmm. how we live. But as far as our beliefs, those are radically all over the place. And always, always have been, maybe not to the same degree as now, but honestly, in many ways, always has been. Um, and so the answer to that would be, if you believe that what is best for America is that there's laws forbidding adultery, then you should vote that way. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I would be a fan of that. Like, I don't, I don't know that consensual acts, but sex acts between adults should have a law versus a morality. So my morality would be, yes, that is immoral. Adultery is immoral. Should there be a law that punishes adulterers? Mm -hmm. I'd have to really think about that if that law was on the ballot. Because I do think it's better for everybody if no one commits adultery. I do think that's better. I think it's a better option. I think it's whatever. But but I don't necessarily want every Judeo-Christian understanding and turned into law in America. Um, I don't and I don't think that's necessary. Not not everyone is gonna have that. Now there will be some people who do, and they should vote that. Uh, they should vote their conscience. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as like whether, the, you know, the four of us would say, where would we stand on? I don't know. It wouldn't be necessary for us to even be on the same page about it at all. We might say, you know, one of us might say, yeah, I think this should be illegal or I think this should be a mental disorder or I think this should be. Mm-hmm. And somebody else might say, I don't. Again, when it comes to voting, the responsibility is to vote your conscience. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what respectful pluralism demands mm-hmm. is that I can have a conversation with you about our different views and that what we're agreeing to in the United States is not to shut down other people's views. Mm -hmm. We may limit their opportunities to talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, Although freedom of speech is obviously 
one of the most, it's the one of the top two. It's one of the first two protected rights in America. But, right. um, but we still may limit people's ability to speak about certain things. As, li- as much as we try not to do that in America, we may do that. But we don't ever try to limit what people believe. Um, we might say, listen, you're a neo-Nazi. We're not going to let you speak in this public setting because of the level of hate and violence you're calling for. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to do, you know, a brain surgery on mm-hmm. you to cut your brain open so that you don't believe that anymore. If you want to believe that, you can believe that and you can even vote your conscience. Mm-hmm. We may limit where you can talk about it or how you mm-hmm. can talk about it. But even that we try to do very right. well. Or, or how you act within those beliefs. Now, and then we will pass laws to limit your behaviors like crazy. Yeah. yeah. You, you can believe that all you want. You can't act on it or mm-hmm. we'll throw you in prison. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what laws are meant to do is they're meant to, to punish the behaviors that are so countercultural, so dangerous that they limit other people's rights. Mm-hmm. And that's where uh, I do think that's the main role of the law in a, in a polis like the United States is mm-hmm. when it limits other people's rights, you have to be restrained when you're trying to limit other people's rights. And that's hard when rights come in conflict, yeah. yes. like religious rights yeah. that mm-hmm. we've run into. I was going to say America. that's getting messy. And, it does. Yeah. It does. It is, but it's always been messy. I feel mm. like that's something, I mean, a lot of people don't remember that 150 years ago, we killed 600,000 Americans over a disagreement within our own constitution. Mm-hmm. It's not like it suddenly got messy in the last 10 years or something. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't Trump or Obama or Biden or anybody in the last you know few years who created division in America. We've, bless one of the consequences of being pluralistic and said tyrannical, we could, we could do away with this. And we could have one, you know, one glorious leader and mm-hmm. have the glorious leader tell us all what we believe. And where it mm-hmm. says otherwise gets thrown in prison. And then yeah. we wouldn't have any of these civil war issues. True. Mm-hmm. Um, we just also would also have any freedoms. Yeah. Yeah. So Okay. So there's, there's, there's depth to this question. So thank you. Thank <laughs> yeah. you, listener. I, yes. Um, I actually don't have it written down who sent that, but thank you for, you know, being willing to ask a, a hard question. We yep. never want to shy away from those. Brim, no. do you want to go to the next one? Um, the next one is, in light of recent podcasts surrounding sexism in the Bible, what exactly does the Bible say or not say regarding women pastors? Is Rick Warren correct in that um, it is biblical to have a female pastor? Why or why not? Can pastors only be men? Why or why not? And, Very light. And that, <laughs> yes. that one was... Next that question. One, that one was in light of... <laughs> Uh, Rick Warren made a comment at um, at the Southern Baptist Convention right. that was then knocked down. Yes, and so I don't, so this one, if we stay with it narrowly, because uh-huh. we did have all those. I would tell you somebody, if you're going to listen to this answer, mm-hmm. if you've not listened to the podcast on sexism mm-hmm. under this season of is the Bible immoral by today's standards. Mm-hmm. Um, Please go do so. That would be helpful. Yeah, that, I think that would be really helpful. This is picking on a very specific word. The specific word here is pastor. Mm-hmm. And the answer to this question is going to depend on how you define the word pastor. And what so many people don't know is that this is not this is not a simple word within the evangelical church. Really? Um, the word pastor means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And so it very much so depends on how you define the word. And, and I am, because of my background and what I've done in my own Bible study, I do not define the word. I personally, this is a personal statement. I don't define the word pastor as being a t- 
title within the church, as in like an officer within the church, uh, something that Christ or Paul or John established as a position within the church. The word pastor literally means shepherd. It doesn't have, it is, it's a Greek word that it comes from the poemen, uh, meaning, uh, no, not poemen, uh, shoot, I'll look it up real quick. You're fine. Okay. Oh, it is poemen. <laughs> All that. And I'm, I was right from the I'm beginning. smarter than I thought. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. So this is, this word is where we get the word pastor and it, it just means shepherd. It has, it doesn't have another meaning. Now what's happened over the years, it's pastor has become a job title. Um, it doesn't just mean shepherd to a lot of people. Now what it means is the person who is the top dog at the church, the big cheese. It is the the lead pastor, the senior pastor, or, so that's one, or it means someone who teaches. So pastors teach. When we go to Timothy, um, 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus, when it lists the role, the two, the two offices that Paul does create, which are deacon and elder, Sorry. And um, so deacon and elder. And in those, you get this very complicated, which we, we went over in the podcast, this very complicated conversation about the phrase husband of one wife. Mm-hmm. Does that mean it can only be men can have these roles? That is complicated by Paul in Romans 16, referencing a woman who is a deacon. And so she's clearly not the husband of one wife. And it is so then, then what does that, did that mean Paul didn't mean for it to be only men, only husbands? Um, can single people be deacons? Is it is it a does it just mean you can't be a polygamist and be a deacon? Like you can't be having an affair. You have to be faithful to your. And so people have debated about that for two thousand years as to exactly who that applies to and doesn't apply to. And people will be until Christ comes back or or sends Paul back to add an addendum or something like that to <laughs> to clear that up for us. Um, and that same phrase is used with elder. Now what we don't have is in a female version of an elder anywhere in the New Testament. And so the a common evangelical view is that women might can be deacons. Some would say no, some would say not. That's a little more generally accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you would have, and lots of churches would say no, women cannot serve as deacons. And then more, even more churches would say women can't serve as elders because there's not a female example of an elder. So I know this is a little convoluted, but I'm putting the pieces together for you. I'm tracking. So, I'm tracking. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, yeah. So and if I'm tracking, I feel like most everyone can. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and so the the elder role is the one that calls for someone to be able to handle the word of God. So a teacher. So elders have to be capable of teaching the word. That's one of their responsibilities. Now you put two and two together and you get 46, 47. And so you get their teachers who are their elders. Hey, pastors, typically they're in roles of teaching. Therefore, you have this integration of the role of elder and pastor. When they're integrated, as they are in a lot of churches. Whoa. When they're integrated. (laughs) (laughs) Rookie mistake. Um, Okay, picking that back up. When When they're integrated together, the pastor, concept of the pastor as a teacher, and the concept of the elder as the teacher, then what you say is elders and pastors are essentially the same thing. And therefore, if women can't be elders, then women can't be pastors. Now, that's obviously a pretty convoluted path to take mm-hmm. to get to that conclusion. But there are many in the evangelical church who would take that path. If you're going to, so my person, now, now we'll get on my personal opinion just for a second. Mm-hmm. I personally, because I don't see any place in the Bible that actually makes that connection for us, 
I would say, well, I think a woman could have the title pastor. The question would be, is it appropriate for a woman to be the lead point person in a church, in a local body, or is it appropriate to have a woman teaching in a general sense in the church? And those are much more, uh, I don't know, difficult conversations to have. Mm-hmm. Um, is it appropriate, given what Paul teaches about the early church, for a woman to be the point person, the lead person in a church? Um, and that's a different conversation than saying, could she have the job title pastor, meaning shepherd? And so if, if, what's fascinating is you could easily give almost any woman in any evangelical church the job title shepherd, hmm. um, and no one would say a word. Yeah. Um, I've, I've even jokingly said I was going to give a woman the job title poemen. So literally, the word, literally, the literally pastor. And yet, and so see if anyone says anything. But I, th- I, think, I think the question here is a question within Christianity and within the local church is a question of the heart and submission. Are we... For example, there's a woman on our staff who I would have given her the job title pastor. <clears throat> and she said, I'm uncomfortable with that because I think people will think I'm not submissive mm-hmm. to the convention or to the teaching in general of the church mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not comfortable with that. And I said, well, one of us is going to have to explain things. Either I'm going to have to explain to people why you don't have the title pastor, yeah. or you're going to have to explain to people why you do so I'll be the one who does the explaining. Oh, I, I will say, defer so to you. Say, so did she say? So her title, job title says director. Yeah. Um, and now, would there have been people who might have left the church over that? Yeah, sure. That might have happened. I could have explained it. I feel like I can explain it well. I'm not claiming that this person is an elder. I'm not claiming that this person is the point person in the church. Mm-hmm. I understand why those two are what things are two topics people are willing to really engage with. Um, so the question is, is Rick Warren correct that it is biblical to have a female pastor? Well, that would depend on how Rick Warren was defining the word pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now it may be that even if he's defining the word pastor as a woman could be the lead elder in a church, he might still be right. Um, though that's much harder to defend. Um, and I think there are plenty of people who would be okay with it and plenty of people would not be okay with it. Um, and I'm not, taking a stance here um, for me, and I'm certainly not for the church. We do have women who are who serve as leaders in our church. We have women who have men under them and employee. We have women who teach classes um, alongside their husbands that are, have men and women in the class. And so we've wrestled through these passages, and in, in the dynamic and uncomfortable tension of the, what the New Testament teaches about these things, this is kind of the path we're walking. But I certainly respect the fact I was an elder at a church before this that would not have allowed any of that. And I don't think they're wrong. And I'm not saying we're right and they're wrong or they're right and we're wrong where we are here. Uh, I, what I would say is this conversation has a pretty broad, uh, your hermeneutic can be very good. And yet you come to a pretty broad conclusion as mm-hmm. to where, what is the appropriate role of women? In okay. church. But it is hard. I mean, I'm curious mm-hmm. to hear some Bryn's thoughts on this too. It's hard. I feel like there is a, and, and maybe I'm overstating it to say it's hard to be a woman in church, or maybe yeah. it's hard to be a woman in, I don't know what the right way to say it. So how would in you say that? In leadership in church. Yeah. 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 And I think some of it is even like you're saying a heart conversation of regardless of whether or not they can have the title, like, is it even like, what is it communicating to the church body for that specific church body right. for that role? And, um, you know, is, is it encouraging men to, step up and lead their families and, right. you know, like all those conversations. 
Because um, that is pretty clear scripturally. Right. That men are supposed to have a role of leadership in their family. Right. And I think, I think we've even talked about, and maybe this is a sidebar, but I think we've talked about in the past how sometimes in our sin, women tend to want control anyway, and men tend towards passivity, mm. like in general. And so even from just a healthy practice, I think that's a, a good conversation to have when mm-hmm. it comes to women in ministry. Like, what is this encouraging? Not that women are not capable, but right. what is it encouraging for that specific situation? But yeah, but I think even, I think it takes a lot of humility and a lot of coming to scripture. And, and even as a woman who has some leadership um, mm-hmm. role of making sure that, that I am still respecting men and I'm engaging with them in a way that, that is um, honoring to them. And I don't know. I think it's, comp- I think it's complicated. It is. Um, but as with any leadership role, I think humility and deference to scripture is, is And that's, key. here's what's cool. That, well, you said key. That's exactly right. That is a much better measure of where someone is in their walk with Christ than their stance on the role of women in ministry. Mm. And so um, I do believe you can be a great student of Scripture. You could be a good student, a great student of Scripture, and come to the conclusion um, that's different than my personal conclusion on this. Mm. All the way to women should have essentially no role of leadership in teaching in the church to women can have almost any role of leadership in teaching in the church. Um but here's what, when, I was, when I've thought about this before, I've known if, if I was talking to a woman seeking to work at the church and she was dogmatically fighting for her rights to right. lead in the church, mm-hmm. I would know there's an immaturity there. Mm-hmm. In the same way, if I hired a man who was dogmatically uh, principled the fact that women could not have any role of leadership in the church, I would know there's an immaturity there. He may believe that or she may believe that, mm-hmm. but it's wild how often we will ignore the clear teaching of being a good neighbor, of being kind, of being soft-hearted, of being gentle. Mm-hmm. We'll ignore those because those are only commanded like 4,000 times in the New Testament in order to fight about a topic that is authentically not clear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and even me saying that, there are probably people listening who would scream at the mic and be like, it is right. clear. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I, I get that. I get why it's clear to you. I mm-hmm. understand that. Um yeah. But I do not think it is hermeneutically clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I think we have to come at those humbly. And even more, like even a step further on that is if someone is fighting for themselves specifically to mm. be in leadership. So not only their stance and what they believe, but if someone is is like, I need to be in a role of leadership, whether or not they're a man or a woman. Right. Like asking the heart question of like, OK, what is the motive behind that? Yeah. And yes. is that is that saying whether or not you can defend what you believe scripturally. Like what is that saying about the state of your heart yes. that you think instead of like, Hey, God's given me these gifts or I feel like I have, um, you know, he's given me a, an opportunity to lead or serve instead of saying like, I need to be in leadership. What is that saying yes. about you? That's, that's a great point. It made me, it reminded me to clarify if, if the, whatever the Bible is teaching about this, it's doing it in terms of roles and responsibilities, not in terms of, value or even abilities. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't, there's nothing that the Bible is saying that women are somehow genetically or at a gender level, less capable of leading or teaching. Mm-hmm. That is not, that's nowhere in scripture. The question would be, 
is it appropriate, is it most appropriate for them to be in positions of leadership or teaching in the local church? Mm -hmm. And that's the question that's being debated. It's not, it should never be the value of women or men or the comparative, uh, I I don't know, giftings of men and women and capabilities. Like those are, those should not be in the discussion. And I also sometimes hear people abuse this concept from a concept, from a concept of submission Mm -hmm. in that, in that women are not in submission to men. And we talked about this on the podcast. It's, it's clearly in the passage, there is a role of women being submitted to their husbands and husbands sacrificing uh, everything for their wives. I'm not responsible to sacrifice for every woman. Mm-hmm. And not every woman is responsible to submit to me. That is, that's not how that works. It's not a sex-based description there in those passages. But it, is, but it gets extrapolated it incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And, and I think part of that is, I think there is a general wisdom. We see this in God. God does it all through the Old Testament a lot, where he's teaching a general principle by requiring certain things of his people. It isn't that he thinks it's morally, you know, th- did God think it was morally wrong uh, to eat meat and cheese together. Like, I don't know that God thought that was morally wrong. He was teaching a lesson to his people. Some things are clean and so, some things are this and some things are that, and you don't mix them. And it's a vitally important lesson. Is As the church, if we don't have these conversations, I think we may miss out on, okay, what is God trying to teach us? Mm-hmm. Is he teaching us that you don't ever, not ever males and females have to have the same roles to be equally valuable? And so that needs to be modeled by the church. It's okay if men and women have different roles in the church. That does not communicate different value. It mm-hmm. just communicates different roles. And is that something he's trying to teach us? It's certainly something we need to wrestle through is, can I be just as valuable mm-hmm. if I'm not a woman? Or can I be just as valuable if I'm not a man? And our temptation is to go, well, I'm not just as valuable because I can't serve in whatever role this mm-hmm. is. Like, no, that's not an issue of value. That's just an issue of roles. Mm-hmm. And, and that's an important lesson for us to catch and to continue to, to hold fast to, even if we disagree about what roles are okay and not okay, that we hold fast to this idea. Your roles are not what give you value. Or identity. <laughs> or identity. God forbid. Mm-hmm. That's right, exactly right. And we're stuck in that right now, where in order to be equally valuable, we all have to have the same outcomes and the same roles and the same positions and that's, that is not a biblical picture. That's just kind of broken. So anyway, there you yeah, go. That's good. That's great. Okay. I think well, we that's dealt that's, with those first two. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think we'll have some more. I think, I think this is the first of probably at least a couple of question and response uh, episodes. Mm-hmm. Where we're, you know. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up, trust God, search for answers. <laughs>